You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Hey, welcome. If you're a guest with us, we're, we're honored to have you here today. Uh, we've been in a series called Disconnected. Uh, and, and my disclaimer before we even jump in is this. Um, I'm, not, I'm not usually like a conspiracy theory guy, okay? So, so this is not us. I've said this before. This is not all of us that we're going to, you know, I think Joe said it. We're not going to have a, like a phone burning after this, okay? So the, just, unless you have an Android, then we can. Um, just, okay, just making sure you're awake. Um, but we've been talking about our, our relationship with technology um, and looking at the teachings of Jesus um, and how, you know, Jesus talked about how the eye is a lamp to the body um, and how what we allow in, the content that we see, the, the, the communication that we allow into our lives affects how we live our daily life. It affects where we end up and what we do with our limited time on earth. And so, uh, but all of it stems from this uh, innate desire that God put in you and I to belong. Uh, we all we all desire to belong to something, to, to have community, to have friends. That is, a, uh, that is the, the image of God stamped inside of us, that we have this need, this desire for belonging. And so that's where this kind of plays into all of this. But uh, as I was thinking back about like what it was like before cell phones, now think way, way back into the dinosaur ages of your youth. Um, do you remember how you would find out what movies were playing. You would, one, have to find a newspaper, one, one of your options, and to scan through it to figure out what the showtimes were, and you showed up and you purchased a ticket, right? Or you had to call the hotline, the, the phone number of the local movie theater, and you listened, do you remember that? How archaic of a life was that? That you had, a, and your movie was like the last one because it wasn't one of the premieres that you wanted to see. And so you had to listen forever. Some of the young people in the room don't believe me right now. We did this, y'all, okay? It wasn't a telegram. You know, there wasn't, you know, Morse code. Uh, we had to listen to a recording of some guy whose job was to just tell you all the show times. But now, I mean, you don't even have to go anywhere. You can watch a phone and pay for it to watch it on your device where you're at. Hopefully not right now during church, but you know, you can do that. Or you can purchase your tickets online, pick out which seat you want. We had to show up early. We had, to, we had to go and we had to scour the, either the phone or the newspaper. You've never even seen a newspaper before if you're under the age of like 15, let's be honest. Uh, but man, what a crazy world we used to live in and how far things have come in the last 20 or so years. Um, things have definitely improved on some ends of the spectrum, Right? Some things you're like, man, I can't seem to ever get away from work because they pay for my cell phone and so they can contact me whenever they want to um, and I'm not even allowed to turn it off. So where, where do we find the balance? Where do we find the balance of connectedness, um, of intentionality with our lives? Where do we find the, the balance in all of this? Um, because is, is technology bad? No, right? Inherently, it's not bad in itself, um, and so what I want to do is I want us to, to start with this truth, and then we're going to begin to unpack it uh, throughout the day. But uh, the first thing is this, is that our time and attention are commodities. What we have to realize is that uh, 
our time, our, our, our time and attention in our life is a commodity. What do I mean by that? Is that it's valuable. It's valuable and there's a limited quantity of it, right? All of us, uh, we started the day with 24 hours, right? No one, no one got an extra bonus hour, did they? No, right? We, we all have the same amount of hours. Now, some of you spend a lot more of that time sleeping. That's cool. Uh, some, some need to sleep a little bit more because this is your seventh cup of coffee today. Easy. Uh, but we all start with the same amount of time every single day, and we all have a limited amount of attention that we can pay, pay on certain things. Now, I know that the moms and the ladies in the room, you guys are experts at multitasking, right? I don't know how you do it. Uh, guys, we're usually generally like one thing at a time, right? <clears throat> like if one person, my kids can be saying, mom, 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 mom. And I'm like, I'm standing next to her and she's doing something else. And I'm like, can you please answer your children? Because it's like, they have this ability to tune out, to be cooking breakfast, answering an email, having another conversation with someone else and tune it out. And I'm like, I can't even tie my shoes right now. Cause all I hear is mom, 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 mom what? I'll be mom for a minute. Just answer, you know, like, but the studies are actually showing that we're actually not great at multitasking. We actually cannot really be proficient multitaskers. We can't give all of our attention to different things at the same time. And here's where this kind of plays in is that, um, our attention and our time are actually valuable. And everybody and everything wants a piece of the pie. They all do. This is not conspiracy, Matt, for a minute, but, but all of these things we, we think of, that they're, they're, they're businesses. Like they're, they're, they're vying for our time and attention. That's how they're designed. That's how uh, these things happen. If you've ever seen the, the, I don't endorse it fully, but there's, a, there's documentaries out there on Netflix talking about uh, the social dilemma, all of these former CEOs from Google and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram um, have, have looked at the reality of how this operates, of how social media operates, and how the whole thing is, is based on they just want a little bit more of your attention. They just want to keep you scrolling for a few extra minutes. And then all of a sudden, an ad pops up. It's like, what? I didn't know I needed cat food, but now I need cat food. Because I said cat food the other day, and now they're, they're listening to me, and they know tomorrow I'm going to get an ad for cat food on my phone out of nowhere, right? All of this is like, you're like, Matt, you're, you're diving into my realm of conspiracy right now. Um, but everything wants our attention. I mean, we have notifications that pop up to tell us about the things that we missed. Some are important, some are just not. But everything is wanting a part of your time and a part of your attention. It's all vying for it. Um, and as the saying goes, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. It's like, I, I kind of forget about it at times is that certain things are actually businesses. You think about a hospital, you're like, thank God for hospitals. But at the end of the day, it's a hospital, but they're, they're a business. It's not a, like a nonprofit, right? Or, or uh, your, your cell phone company. It's, I'm thankful that I, I paid Verizon, but at the end of the day, Verizon is not just here to serve you. They're here to make money, right? Like everything at the end of the day is, is a business, right? And, and as much as you love Facebook and Instagram, it is not just a service for you. It's intended to be a business. So how does this business operate? Well, what it wants to do is to try to get as much attention from us as it can to then say, hey, 
Have you seen these shoes? Like, do you want to purchase this? Like, everything is after our time and our attention. Um, and and, and uh, I want to show a quick video, actually, not super quick, uh, a quick video that I stumbled across that is super, super poignant when it comes to uh, social media and technology and how we all got to the point where we thought we'd be working less and less hours, uh, but how it's designed with the human thinking in mind. So take a look at this video. A simple thought, monkeys that are known to have a developed social life organize in small groups of several dozen members. The size of each of these groups is limited. In order for them to function, all members of the group need to know each other well. The average size of the group changes from 20 to 50 members. When the number of monkeys in a group passes a certain threshold, the social order crumbles and the group tends to split into two separate groups. A similar situation can be found amongst humans as well. The invention of language and gossip has helped us shape larger and more stable groups. Sociological research indicates that the maximum natural size of a group of humans is roughly 150 members. Most humans are just incapable of intimately knowing more than 150 people, so even today the threshold of human organization is around the number of 150 members. Man is a social creature, and the feeling of loneliness can drive him mad. Yet the Western and modern world sanctions individuality. The individual is measured by personal achievements, such as having a career, wealth, a self-image, and consumerism. In this course of action, many people lose their social and familial connections in favor of a self-actualization ideal. As the social fabric in the Western world weakens, it is not surprising that more and more people define themselves as lonely. And thus, loneliness has become the most common ailment of the modern world. One of the possible reasons for this ailment is the online social network. In a world where time is money, in which our surroundings heavily pressure us to achieve more and more, our social life becomes tainted and more demanding than ever before. And then there's technology. Simpler, hopeful, optimistic, ever young. We become addicted to virtual romance, disguised by the social network which supplies an impressive platform that allows us to manage our social life most effectively. However, our fantasies about substitutions are starting to take a toll. We're collecting friends like stamps, not distincting quantity versus quality, and converting the deep meaning and intimacy of friendship with exchanging photos and chat conversations. By doing so, we're sacrificing conversation for mere connection, and so a paradoxical situation is created, in which we claim to have many friends while actually being lonely. So what is the problem in having a conversation? Well, it takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're going to say. And that is the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want it to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. Instead of building true friendships, we're obsessed with endless personal promotion, investing hours on end building our profile, pursuing the optimal order of words in our next message, choosing the pictures in which we look our best, all of which is meant to serve as a desirable image of who we are. We're expecting more from technology and less from each other. The social networks aren't just changing what we're doing, but also who we are. And that's because technology appeals to us most where we are most vulnerable. And we are vulnerable. We are lonely, but we're afraid of intimacy, while the social networks offer us three gratifying fantasies. One, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. Two, that we will always be heard. And three, that we will never have to be alone. And that third idea, that we will never have to be alone, is central to changing our psyches. It's shaping a new way of being. The best way to describe it is, 
I share. Therefore, I am. We use technology to define ourselves by sharing our thoughts and feelings, even as we're having them. Furthermore, we're faking experiences so we'll have something to share, so we can feel alive. We slip into thinking that always being connected is going to make us feel less alone. But we are at risk because the opposite is true. If we are not able to be alone, we're only going to know how to be lonely. Kind of interesting. Uh, not even a, a biblical, biblical source for that. Um, this actually was made almost 10 years ago. It's kind of crazy to think about. It's like, wow, that's, I thought it was like today. Um, but there's a, there, there's a trend. Now, now listen again to my heart. All right, God bless the connectedness that we have today. Like we can, uh, some people are, are going to be listening to this on a podcast while they're uh, out of town or where they're somewhere else. Like we have the ability to, to attend church online. Like we have the ability to connect with friends that have moved overseas or that moved out of state that we can hear about something going on in someone's life and we can pray for them, that we can support them. I'm so thankful for all of this. But the, the truth is, is that with everything, that we have to have the proper parameters and the proper boundaries. And as we're, we're learning and seeing this, is that we, um, we realize that sometimes we're like, ah, we should maybe spend a little bit less time on our phone, right? But like, this is growing a, a greater and greater mantra that's being said. It's kind of like, yeah, we, maybe we shouldn't put lead in our paint. You know, it's like they got to a point where they're like, hey, there's a, there's a problem with lead paint, right? Like there, there's, a, there's, there's a huge thing going on. In fact, uh, most people, it says on average, spend about two and a half hours a day on social media. Uh, some teenagers up to nine hours, some studies say. I don't know um, if they ever actually even turn it off. But Two and a half hours, on average, the average American spends on social media. Now, here's the thing. We can look back at the year 2020, right, the, the giant um, ex social experiment that happened, and to say that if, if connectivity itself is sufficient for community and for friendships, then we should have all thrived through that, right? Um, this was a sobering thing to read, but the CDC did a study uh, during 2020. Uh, it said that almost 11% of American adults had seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. What's 11%? Almost 26% of Americans between the ages of 18 to 24 during 2020 had contemplated suicide within the last 30 days. Not within their life, within the last 30 days. So in the midst of, of, of the world shutting down, in the midst of all of this, when all we had was connectivity, right, via, via apps, via whatever, but it was now no longer face-to-face, -face, what we're seeing, what, what the statistics, what the studies are saying is that it wasn't enough. In fact, today, 52% of American teenagers want to take a step to cut back on their smartphone use. Now, I was a youth pastor for almost 14 years, and I've never met a teenager that's like, ah, I should use some moderation on anything. Like, not on food, not on cologne, like, you name it. And a teenager is always like, ah, oh, more is more, right? So if teenagers are saying, hey, I wanna cut back on my phone use, we should be like, what? That's a, that's, that's a problem, right? 
hey, I'm spending too much screen time. I'm having way too much screen time. It's not bad, but if we're, we're realizing that like there is serious statistics that say people have an addiction to their phone. Like even if the idea of, of you holding down these two buttons right now and, and then swiping over to turn it off, not just to reset it, right? Because that's the only time we do it, but to actually turn it off for like a couple of hours, if that stresses you out right now, you're like, I'm never gonna do that, man. Don't even ask me to pull it out right now because I won't. I'm a rebel. You can't control me, right? If that stresses you out, it stresses me out too a little bit because I'm like, what if somebody needs to get in touch with me? So, is it, is it an emergency? There is, a, there is a lot of people who, through the ability to connect with many people, have, we've allowed to have a piece of the pie of our daily life. And that's not, also, that's not necessarily healthy. But in a, in a life of constantly doing that, one study from, uh, from California State University said that individuals who visited social media at least 58 times in one week were three times more likely to feel socially isolated and depressed. Teenagers' social media use in depression is, is it's no longer like, ah, is this a bad idea? Like, biblical sources, non-biblical sources, all saying, hey, there's a problem. As a, as a culture, as humanity, we've become too attached to our devices that there's a problem. That it's not just wasting our time, it's affecting how we live, it's affecting how we think, it's affecting our quality of life. So here's where this plays in. Second thing is this, is that our strongest desire is different than our deepest desire. The strongest desire that you and I have is is not the same as our deepest desire. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. And then if you're type A, you want to anticipate we're going to be in Matthew 20 in a minute. Let me read this for us. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So he's saying it's, it's different, right? These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. All of the, uh, the connectiveness, a lot of this plays to, to deep desires in our heart. And sometimes it's the strongest desires that we allow to win out over the deepest. Here's where he goes on. He says, but you are directed by the Spirit. You are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Facebook, I'm just playing, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law 
against these things. He's saying what, what, what appeals to us is often the, the strongest desire that gets to the forefront. Our deepest desire is to be fully known and intimately loved by God. But we satisfy that deep desire with the strong desire to be filtered and to be liked. It, it's like this, this, this theme has come up like five or six times in the last two weeks, but just this idea that that thirst cannot be satisfied by drinking salt water, right? It actually makes it worse. You die of it. You're stranded on a, on a raft out in the ocean. They're like, no matter how thirsty you get, don't drink the salt water because just a taste of it and you want more of it and you want more of it. The deepest desire of thirst cannot be satisfied by the strongest desire to drink the salt, salt water, the deepest longings in our heart to be known, to be seen, to be loved cannot be satisfied by presenting a, 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 a picture of ourselves for mere likes from people that we don't even know. And it's this, it's this tug of war that, that happens that goes on. They can be a tool. I, I, like I said, I, I love the tools that we have. I love how social media can be a tool for us to connect with others, to pray for one another, to, to just like catch up because distance is a thing. But the last time I checked, tools are tools. Like your, your, your screwdrivers at home are probably not like tapping on the toolbox like, hey, you haven't used me in a while, right? It's like, hey, did you know that your friend has a screwdriver too? It's like, here's your notification. Tools sit there and wait for them to be used, right? Tools don't vie for their use. They don't vie for, their, for your attention to be placed on them. So we have to have a proper perspective. We have to ask some questions. When was the last time you asked a genuine, genuine question that you didn't know and you didn't Google it? Or didn't ask your digital assistant, Siri or Alexa, right? Uh, we, we usually, we just, we have questions, we ask them. I, I heard this, uh, I was listening to this pastor who was talking about a friend of theirs that they started this thing in their family to where um, they don't answer their kids' questions. Like if their kids have a question, they write it on a sticky note and put it on the wall. You're like, that sounds genius, but kind of weird. Um, and at the end of the week, they look at the questions and they begin to answer them. And what's interesting, he said, towards the end of the week, a lot of them, they answer themselves. Because this spark of asking a question, having wonder and having awe, leads to discovery. But we live in a, in a world where we, we don't have to ask questions because we can just have them answered for us. We, we don't have awe. We don't have this wonder. We, so when we, when we have to ask questions about ourselves, not like, hey, what's the pain on the left side of my stomach? Is that an organ? Am I going to die? Like, not those kind of questions about ourselves, but like questions of like, why am I actually doing this? Why am I posting this? What is the deep need that I'm trying to satisfy by the thing that will never fully satisfy it? What is the ache in my heart? So when we begin to ask these questions, we have to realize there's three main pitfalls of this hyper-connectivity. Uh, one, it's obvious, shallow connection. Shallow connection. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm friends with people that I like, had a class with once in college. 
and I would go and delete them, but I can't remember who they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we, we're, we are spread really, 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 really thin. The amount of people and things that go for our attention, it, it allows us to spread ourselves thin, but we spread ourselves thin. When was the last time that you just like, you put everything away and had one-on-one, face-to-face conversations with people? Like there, there's, a, there's a depth that happens there um, because we can, we can share with other people our perspective from the comfort of our pajamas at home, right? And then Zoom kind of burst into, burst into the scene and then you had to actually get dressed from this, you know, up. Don't act like you didn't do it, okay? You're wearing sweats underneath, we all know, uh, in a meeting. But we get to do it on our terms. When our friendships are solely digital, they're on our own terms. But God has not called us to, to live our lives just on the surface, right? Like, we long for that, like in the garden, Adam walking with God in the cool of evening, that, that kind of like intimacy with God. We, we long for that. But yet the margin we create in our day because we're spread so thin is like, okay, God, I've got, I've got five minutes. Speak. I've got five minutes to pray, to read my, my verse of the day, my chapter for the day. Here's, here's my cool of the evening. It's five minutes long. Because we're spread so thin. Because we're so connected to so many people and so many things that we just don't have margin. Right? If, if I tried to get all of us in the room another time by the end of the week, it wouldn't happen. Right? Because you're like, I got this thing. I got so this practice. I got this going on. There's just... We don't have margin in our day, in our schedules. So maybe we have to assess the amount of connections that we have with the amount of things, the amount of responsibilities, the amount of obligations, the amount of people to say what really actually matters. If I don't have enough margin for my own family at the end of my day, I'm spread too thin. If I can't give my kids or my grandkids my sole attention for a window of time, I'm spread too thin. Second pitfall is constant comparison. Constant comparison. If you are type A and you planned ahead, Matthew 20, I'm going to read this parable of Jesus that has to do with comparison. Verse 1 of Matthew 20 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Uh, Generally, at this time, people would gather together in kind of like a, a city center or a town area, and the day laborers would wait to be hired by somebody. So they would show up, dressed, ready to work with whatever they needed for the day, and uh, people who owned the land, people who needed to hire laborers would, would go into town and they would say, hey, come work for me for the day. And so you would, you would be paid a daily wage at the end of the day. And so this is the situation that's taking place. So he sent the, them out to work. It says at nine in the morning, as he was passing through the marketplace, he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them 
telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. So they were kind of in the back of the line. They didn't get hired. And he's like, I need every available person to come to the vineyard. Uh, when you're harvesting grapes, you have a limited window of time to harvest them. Uh, if, if the rain comes and gets the grapes wet, they can produce mildew and mold and can totally ruin your crop. Like they wait to the, the peak of, the, of the, the grapes being right, the right amount of sweetness to be harvested. And so he's trying to gather everybody together he can. Hey, go out to my vineyard and work. Go out and work. Even if, if it's for just an hour, go out and work. The landowner told them, go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, they received a full day's wage. Now, those that worked all day long are probably standing there thinking like, hmm, these guys only worked for an hour and they got a whole day's wage. He must be handing out Christmas bonuses right now. Let's be honest. Like, this is my day. Like, I'm not going to have to work for another week. This is going to be awesome. So if I did the math in my head, calculate the overtime, like they worked one hour. I've been working 12. Like it's about to rain money on me, right? It's going to be awesome. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat? He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. And is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. He's like, this is, this is not fair. But at the end of the day, the, the landowner's like, it's, it's my money. You're, you got exactly what you were owed, but because I was generous towards someone else, you're upset? Now, this is the story of humanity. And, and all of us, if have not had a moment like this, you're lying, okay? We, we become content with what we have until what? We see what other people have. And we're like, what? This idea of gratitude and thanks, in the Greek and the Hebrew, there's a couple of different words. The word for Hebrew, yada, is used over 100 times in the Old Testament. Um, and the definition is acknowledging what is right about God in praise and in thanksgiving. It can also mean acknowledgement of self before God. The Greek word, um, it means to show oneself grateful, to be thankful, to give thanks. So in the Hebrew, it basically tells us that like our gratitude, our thankfulness is not dependent upon what happens, but upon who God is. That the, the word they're using for gratitude and for giving thanks isn't based on your portion, it's based on who God is. 
Meaning that if we thank God for, for what we have, that's not like exaggerant. That's just good manners. But when we are grateful for who God is, like that's the heart of gratitude. That's the heart of, of being thankful. But comparison can totally, totally rob us from our contentment. Because we see what other people have in the click of a button and we're like, that's not fair. I see this played out. I've got three kids. I see it played out um, maybe daily. I don't know. Uh, I remember this time, though, my kids uh, were having dessert, right? It's like, hey, you can have dessert. Some, hey, can I have ice cream? Sure, you can have that. There's cookies on the counter. Can you have, can I have that? I was like, sure. My middle kid was like, hadn't gotten dessert yet. And so I was like, let me hook you up, right? Like, so I, I was like, I saw the ice cream and I saw the cookie. And I was like, ice cream cookie sandwich, right? And I, he was on cloud nine. He was like, this is incredible. This is like best day ever. And so my other two kids are sitting at the table, eating their ice cream or eating the cookies, whatever they were having. And they were so, they're like singing songs about dad, like dad's the awesomest and cool, whatever. Um, I was enjoying it because being the dessert person is cool because you're like, sure. You know, mom's a vegetable person today. I'm the dessert guy. You love me, right? Um, and they're content and they're so happy until who? What happens? until the middle kid comes over with a better looking dessert. And they're like, what? So they're like, I didn't even know that was an option. I said, well, you didn't ask. And all of a sudden they're dissatisfied with what they were just satisfied in. Why? Nothing changed about what they had, but because they compared it to somebody else. And I, I think one of the greatest things to practice gratitude in our lives is just to stop looking at other people. Not like looking at other people, but looking at what other people have. Because you could get a promotion and then see somebody else who got a better promotion. You could, you could look at your uh, success on your dieting and fitness journey and then you see someone who's better. Let me, let me just go ahead and say this. There's always gonna be somebody who's smarter than you, who's better looking than you, who has more money than you, whose family takes all the perfect pictures than you, right? And there's also, at the same time, there's gonna be other people who you're doing better than they are. Your kids are doing better than they are, theirs are. And so it's this comparison, it's either like, it's, it's weed killer for our contentment or it's fertilizer for our pride, because it either makes us feel really bad because we don't have what somebody else has or it makes us feel really good about ourselves because we're doing better than they are. So if one leads to us grumbling about God's provision in our life or us looking prideful, maybe comparison isn't great. And this constant inundation with comparison can rob us of our joy. It just can and lastly, the third pitfall is lack of intentionality. Let's be honest. How many times have you picked up your phone to do something important and you got distracted by notification and then 30 minutes later, you're like, what was I doing again? I was here to do something. And I kind of like have to walk into a room like, what was I here for? I do that about everything. I just forget stuff. But like, we've done it, right? Because we had intentions to do something, but then we got distracted. In our life, sometimes there's just so much of a lack of intentionality. I got a 
graphic to show you about the average time that we spend in our lifetime on different activities. Uh, doing housework, one year and eight months. Socializing, almost two years. Shopping, uh, that's maybe not for the men, no, just playing. Uh, two years, two months. Eating and drinking, three years, seven months. Using social media, almost seven years of our life. Watching TV, eight years, 24, 26 years and five months sleeping. That's a chunk of time. It's kind of sobering to think about that there could be a span of almost seven years in our life that we just spend mindlessly scrolling. And it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's not sinful. But is it taking the place of something else? Is it robbing us from what is actually important, what we actually want to do with our lives? No one wants to say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And you're like, man, it was awesome. Uh, my family went on this hike and this adventure, and it was so many memories, and we laughed, and uh, just such an awesome time. We, we ate a meal together, and we, we went to church, and we just had a great time. And you're like, well, what did you do? You're like, oh, <laughs> I scrolled through Instagram for like 17 hours straight. Beat that. No one brags about that. No one brags about how many hours they mindlessly spend looking at other people's lives. No one does. We all long for this, but we settle for this. It's not delete everything and, and, and get a a Nokia brick phone. It's, it's a, we have to have a healthy relationship with our connectivity. No, I, I've yet to met, meet someone who was accidentally led to Jesus. Who was accidentally shared the gospel with. I've never met someone who was accidentally loved and cared for when they were hurting. It just hasn't happened. It's like, oh, I was flipping through TikTok videos and watching cooking, and then all of a sudden I led somebody to Jesus. It's the weirdest thing that happened. Like, that happens with intentionality. It happens with, at the end of the day, saying, this is what I want my life to be about. This is what matters. This is what is going to satisfy the deepest desires of my heart. And I'm going to create a rhythm in my life that feeds this and begins to starve this. Because we, we can have plans and aspirations and even good intentions, but if we don't follow it through, then what are we doing? In fact, last night we were we at a restaurant celebrating my father-in-law's birthday and um, there was a server that we had met at a different restaurant we were going to. My wife just felt like the Lord's like, hey, you need to go learn her name. And so whenever I asked her name, started a conversation, we kept going there several weeks in a row. Um, and then also we didn't see her there one day. So lo and behold, we're at a different restaurant, different part of town, and we see the same server. And one, I didn't remember her name. And so my wife is like, oh, that's so-and-so. I was like, who? She's like, remember the server? I was like, oh, yeah. And so I go and take my tray, and I'm like, hey, by the way, you worked at... 
I'm using my wife's knowledge here in this because I didn't remember. And she's like, yeah. I was like, anyway, so we started a conversation. Uh, she came over and said, hey, my wife was like, like the Lord just was beating on her chest. Like, you need to invite her to church. Like she said afterwards, she's like, if I didn't go talk to her about church, I feel like I was gonna be sick to my stomach because I was being disobedient. And she went over and had a great conversation, invited her to church. But it's, it's simple things like that. That if, if God is trying to direct us and nudge us and the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us, but our, 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 we are so glued to our, our, our social media feed or our phones and we are so easily distracted that we can't even listen to the Holy Spirit leading us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want the image that my kids see is this upward glow of my face all the time. I don't want it. And the reason and the way that we change things is so that we can focus our attention, our limited time and our limited attention on what matters, on the people that God has placed in front of us, on the mission and the purpose that God has before us so that we can run the race and we can be the fully devoted followers of Jesus that we're called to be. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.